take time to disconnect and remind myself like why I'm doing this. Like if I'm just in business to make money, I might as well shut down the shop. There's no point in doing that. Like what is my grander purpose? What kind of life am I trying to create for myself and my family? And what are the steps that I need to take to get there? Hey babes, it's Kayla Craft with the Mommy Millionaire Podcast. I'm a mom of three littles, ER nurse turned self-made millionaire and lifestyle entrepreneur. I am bringing you inspiring stories, business and mindset tips to help you be shameless in pursuing your ambitions. Hey, Mommy Millionaires. I am so excited about today's amazing episode with an incredible woman. And I met her actually through James Wedmore's Mastermind back in January. And when I first saw her, I was like, I need to like know this girl because she exudes confidence and not the braggy kind that makes you feel like, oh, don't talk to me. Like, you know, she's not egotistical at all. She's just full of love and compassion. And like... she. I remember one of the first things she asked me was, how can I help you? How can I support you? And I was like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. I need to introduce her to the Mommy Millionaire audience. So you guys are going to love Brit as much as I do. She built her clientele at the peak of the most recent US economic recession. Britt was asked by the owner of her salon to step in and be a salon director. And that led her to build up a team of 30 salon professionals to seven figures in annual revenue through using innovative marketing, unbeatable salon culture, and a commitment to innovation. So in 2009, other local salon owners began asking Britt how she did it. And by 2016, Britt had a full salon coaching clientele. Britt's Thriver Society marketing system was the first online education course offered in the beauty industry and continues to be the number one resource for clientele growth and social media marketing. With over 1 million downloads, you guys heard that right, 1 million downloads, her Thriving Stylist podcast is the highest rated, most downloaded podcast for hairstylists and salon owners. And Britt continues to be sought out for her fresh and innovative take on business growth and marketing. So you guys, please help me welcome Britt Siva to the Mommy Millionaire Show. Kayla, that was the best intro ever. I'm like glowing over here. And I have to echo everything that you said. I was so excited to get to spend a year with you. And at first I was intimidated. I was like, oh my gosh, this woman's so brilliant. She's so amazing. What am I going to say? And then from the moment I met you, you were just so humble and open and giving. And I was blown away by how much you've accomplished in your lifetime and, and your strong desire to just lift others up. Like you have this selfless desire to see those around you succeed. That is so rare. And I just feel so fortunate to be with you and the Mommy Millionaires and to have this opportunity. So thank you so much. Oh, yay. Thank you. That was so sweet. I love... I, I always want to be like a virtual little hug fest at the beginning. Virtual um, gush. <laughs> but you, you are like... Everything that you've created is so impressive. That's why I was like, I have to have you on the show because there's so many people that are listening in that are in like that beauty industry which I grew up in the beauty industry. My mom's been a hairstylist for what going on 37 years. And it's crazy. I'm like, when are you going to be done with this thing? Never. They're and- never done. That's the, it's like a lifetime career for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, so I grew up like literally living in the salon, like in the back, my mom would be mixing up color and she, you know, I saw her do stuff in the garage and then really just like hustle to make it happen. And so I truly believe that like this industry, industry, you can, you can be in poverty with it, or you can be just like living in so much abundance. And that's really what you're doing is you're helping people, you know, put their business cap on when it comes to being a hairstylist, because I mean, I know my mom's very creative and they're, they're like in this creative bubble and they don't want to numbers and they don't want to, you know, like look at the business side. And so I love that you're teaching people how to do it. And it's just because it's a skill, right? And it's a skill we're not taught growing up. So you're teaching all the right skills. And tell me like what, what happened? So, you know, 2008, the recession hit, you were working, like, what were you a colorist and a stylist? Like, what were you doing? What was your life like then? Such a great question. And you do have such an incredible understanding of the industry. And it's so funny because hairstylists are 
entrepreneurs, just like anybody else in any other industry who wants to start their own business. However, when we go to cosmetology school, nobody tells us that we're signing up to be entrepreneurs and we don't innately know it. It's like, we think we get to be, like you said about your mom, creative and have fun and make men and women feel beautiful. And we we tangibly understand that part, but the whole, oh shoot. And also you have to be an entrepreneur and market yourself and build a business was lost on all of us. Like 100% of us didn't know that. And I think a lot of people in a lot of industries step into business saying, I'm going to be a candle maker. I'm going to be an educator. I'm going to be all these things. And they they are very, um, very clear on the end result, but they don't realize the back end game, like you said, of the numbers and the marketing and the strategy. Mm-hmm. So coming out of cosmetology school, I was completely unprepared to enter the industry. I did uh, cutting and color. And I very humbly say, unfortunately, I could not cut hair to save my life. But the cool thing about that is I still built a very successful clientele for myself, even though my haircuts were tragic because <laughs> I, I really understood what clients wanted as far as guest experience, what kind of marketing would appeal to them, how they wanted to be served when they sat in my chair, what a great consultation looked like, and, and how they wanted to walk away from my chair feeling. And I had this very clear understanding that for women in general, like hair, skin, beauty is an emotional thing for us. We do want to look beautiful, but we have to really enjoy the person that we're spending time with. And there has to be trust there and we have to value their opinion. And so I built my clientele in the peak of the recession, doubling down on not my talent because I knew I was weak there, but on the marketing and the emotional connection and the communication piece. Mm. And once I did that and saw how how incredibly successful that was. I thought, man, if I could teach this on a bigger level, if I could show people how to double down, not just on doing the good hair, but taking incredible care of their guests, we could really change the industry. I mean, we could level it up. Like you said, so many stylists struggle and it's like, if they just knew these couple of key pieces, it would change everything. I know I've sent my, or I've sent your podcast to my mom like a million times. She still hasn't listened. I'm like, mom. (laughs) I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Um, Okay. So, you know, that's awesome that you were like that. But how did you get to be like that? Because how, like, did you have parents that were entrepreneur? Like, yeah. Such a great question. And I get that a lot. People ask me all the time. I don't know if you get this, Kayla, but people will be like, was your dad a businessman? Like, oh, did yeah. you, was your, all the time, right? I'm like my dad was in jail actually. <laughs> so I guess he kind of was a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> in a different way. Oh, totally yeah. different business. <laughs> Same thing. People are like, oh, so your, your parents must've taught you. No, nope, my mom was a struggling secretary. My, my dad job hopped. Um, I think in oh. a lot of ways that, that, that influenced me. I was like, no, I want stability. I, I want to be very self-made has always been a, a phrase that I've really owned. I wanted to be Mm -hmm. self-made and to create my future. Mm -hmm. So important to me from a young age. I will say I was blessed. I I worked at the Ritz-Carlton in Half Moon Bay from the time I was 17 to about 21. Oh, wow. It was life training that I received there is unlike anything else. Wow. It's like the best life boot camp of all time because they they double down on guest experience and culture and compliance and and a lot of really big concepts. And so I was able to walk away with this really great work ethic and this incredibly strong desire. Um, but what I, I what I will say is when I was when I first started working at the Ritz at seventeen. My mom came in to visit me and she was like, oh, I'm so glad you're working at the Ritz. And I was like, thanks, mom. And she was like, this is going to be great because you're going to meet your husband. He's going to come in off the golf course and sweep you off your feet. And he's going to (laughs) take care of us for the the rest of our lives. And I said... And that is exactly what I won't be doing. Like that was the turning point for me where I was like, nope, I'm going to bust butt and figure out what I can do to make myself successful independent from anybody else. Mm. Wow. Okay. That's so huge. Why is it that like a lot of us are driven by little moments like that where it's like, I got to prove to you, like even though she wasn't even saying anything, putting you down, but it was kind of like innately what she was saying was like, you know, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. So just wait for a man to come swoop you up. And that like little girl inside of you was like, oh, I got to show you. I got to show you. I could do that. Totally. And it is, it's those little pivotal moments in time where it's almost like a fork in the road and we choose left, right, or center. Mm-hmm. And based on that decision, it can really change the trajectory of your whole life. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Do you reflect back on that? Do you ever think back to like trigger moments of this really changed things for me or this is what, this is what lit by fire? 
Oh, absolutely. I spend so much time journaling about that because I, I think, and you probably know this too, when with marketing, I mean, stories are everything. And so like the more stories I can recall, I feel like it's the better for like our clients, for the podcast, all this kind of stuff. So there's still so many blocks I have and a lot of like, you probably have this too. And so I'll just journal about it. And I ask my mom or I'll ask like people that were in my life around that time, like what was going on? Then I'll journal and like some stuff will come up. But Ooh, I think, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little bit of that. That's actually yeah. a good pro tip. I like yeah. that. Yeah. See, didn't know you were gonna learn today. I did not. I love this little bonus. <laughs> okay, so you built it up because you had you had something to prove, basically, and you also like wanted that self made millionaire status. Now, were you married when this happened in in 2009? Well, sister friend, I've been married, but not married since I was 17. So I oh, met really? my, my husband when we were kids. We were teenagers. And so we've been together now almost 20 years. Our oldest daughter is 16. Oh so my gosh. He, yes. So he's truly like my life partner. We've only been married for 10 years, but I mean, for my entire adulthood, he's been with me through the good, the bad and the ugly. And what I will say has been very beneficial to me and I don't take it for granted is I do have a tremendous partner. Like he's never told me no. He's always been supportive. He'll tell me when he thinks I'm getting a little left to center. He'll like bring me back home. But he's always like, I I believe in you. I know that if you decide you want to do something, we're just going to see it all the way through. We both want each other to live the biggest, best life. And so I'm very thankful. I feel like you have that too. Like having a really great partner makes Now I do, but he was not like that. And that's part of our story, but it it was a nightmare in the beginning. Um, But were you with him when your mom told you all that? Uh, yes. Oh, so that's even more like, I already have my guy. What exactly. And it made me love him that much more. Like, no, I already got my man. He's a valet and we're going to be together and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> what is, so what does he do? Uh, he's a fireman for that's San right. Francisco. So he's a big dream chaser too, which, which does help us. Cause we both understand, you know, we're going to live our life to the fullest, but very, very different career. He's, you know, he's, he works for the man and he works for the city and he's very compliant. So for my, my free gypsy spirit for him is something he does have to kind of adjust to, but it works. Big dream chasers come together and it works. Oh, I love that. Okay. So 2009, it's, I mean, social media is pretty much it's going, but it's still not like everything. Did you like, did you take courses or how did you learn about how to start marketing yourself online? Such a great question. I always say I did hair in dinosaur times when it was like Facebook was in its infancy. There was no Instagram yet. I mean, all of those are such gifts now, right? It's so much easier now. I know. And people look at it like it's a hassle. Like, oh gosh, I got to learn this. I'm like, are you kidding me? If I would have had this in 2010, 2011, like... We would have crushed. I mean, it's such such a gift, like the most powerful tool you can hold in the palm, literally in the palm of your hand and we have it. Mm -hmm. So... So I, um, I knew that social media was going to be a big deal. I didn't, I could not have foreseen it being what it is now, but I thought, wow, this is amazing. Like hardly anybody's hopping into this online technology. I always understood that being the first in line was important. So I was, (laughs) I hopped on Periscope when it first launched and I, I wanted to figure out Instagram right away. And I think that for me, what's carried me this far is I'm not afraid to fail. Like I'm down to just play and try and experiment and do something on a platform and have it be a total face plant moment, but learn from it. And so I just continued to experiment and, and, and connect, like connecting with our clients was huge for me. If somebody would comment on our Facebook page, I'd write a long comment back, not just a thanks girl, but thanks, Cindy. It was so great to see you last week when you came in. I hope your daughter's graduation was amazing. It was like that power of human connection. I understood that that's what social media was going to be about from Mm -hmm. the start. And, and I continued to value the platforms in that way. I do think that was a game changer. Wow. Okay. You guys, that was a good little note right there. She just gave you a little nugget. Don't just give the, I'm totally that person. I'm like, thanks girl. Yeah. Go above and beyond. Yeah, it it is. It is going about, and and doesn't it make a difference? Like if somebody comments back to me and they give me two or three sentences of their time, like it, it does touch our heart a little bit. So I, I'm not perfect, but I try when I can to to give a little extra. It does make a difference. Hmm. Well, it's, it's just so true that going the extra mile is never crowded. It's like little things like that that make you stand out like in any industry, right? So anybody can take that piece of advice and run with it. Okay. So, you know, what you're on social media, you're building up and you're trying to, you know, become the coach to the stylist and that's like not heard of, right? So you're doing something that is new. How did you start to get clients? 
How did I start to get coaching clients? Yeah. Whew, okay. So you're, you're right. It was like uncharted territory. And at the time there was especially nobody in my industry who was coaching in this way, but I had found people like Hillary Rushford was one of the first online influencers. I found Lewis Howes, Marie Forleo. I stumbled onto these very well-established um, educators, mentors, coaches. And I was like, wow, this is really incredible to see what they're doing, to watch them connect to people virtually and to be able to help people on a mass scale. So mm-hmm. I will say when I was when I first started coaching salon owners, it was locally based. So I built up a local reputation. People could see the way we were marketing the salon online. It was very, uh, very innovative at the time. Um, and so pe- salon owners would reach out and be like, how the heck are you doing this? Is there any way we could have a little bit of your time? So I did start in the uh, one-on-one coaching space, a lot of in-person meetings, um, being totally underpaid and undervalued, but that's how a lot of us get our start, right? I cut right. my teeth for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once it got to a point where I really had gained enough experience to know what I was good at and where I lacked. Like, do you ever get asked, Kayla, like people ask you to coach to something or teach on something and you could do it, but it's not your sweet spot. Oh, totally. And I, and then I just refer, I used to take on those clients and then it was like, you know, they didn't really get what they needed. And, you know, uh, I always now refer as soon as like, I'm on a call, like that might be like a consultation and I'm, they're going and I completely, I just stop it. I'm like, you know, I am not your person. I'm going to direct you over here. Me too. And, and so powerful, right? The power of saying no. Mm-hmm. So once I had really refined working one-on-one with people, what I was good at and what I was not so great at, then I, then I went online. Then I felt like I really had refined my offer and my message and had a deeper understanding of myself. Mm. So I do think what helped me was to take the time to experience with, experiment with my market a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I know like one-on-one coaching for a lot of people isn't super sexy. They're not like, Ooh, I want a ton of one-on-one clients. It's a drain. And I understand that, but I do think going through that process process, you learn a lot about yourself and about your market and about people's pain points. So I I went through that one-on-one coaching process for probably about 18 months. I did a lot of one-on-one. And then once I had really figured out what my market needed, then I launched my digital membership. Um, And I will say when I launched, it was the blind leading the blind. And that's one of my biggest regrets is I wished I had reached out for more education and coaching sooner. That's probably my biggest regret is thinking I could do it alone. So at this point you hadn't, you had no coach, nothing, no masterminds. Okay. So you were just like, I have this idea to do this. I'm just going to run with it. Mm -hmm. So why do you regret it though? Didn't you learn a lot? Oh, that's such a good question, Kayla. You give me the hard hitting questions. I did learn a lot. I learned through like the school of hard knocks and I, it's like, I don't regret that time. And I don't even know if this is true, but do you ever look back on a decision and wonder like, man, I wonder if I had had a coach, would this have been like rocket fuel and I would have skyrocketed that much faster? Would I have skipped the pain of making some mistakes? But then to what you said, I learned so much in those early scrappy years that a lot of those lessons are foundations to my program today. So everything happens for a reason. And I do think there was a blessing in it, but, but I also, I do believe I waited way too long to get help. Like being in, spending the last year in a mastermind room with you, Kayla, it just is so powerful and influential to my business. Mm -hmm. Having that tribe of business peers is so critical now. I wish I had sought that out sooner, I think. Totally. Yeah. And I get that. I feel like I've all, I've had a coach probably for the last, I don't know, three and a half years all the time. Like I've never gone without a coach. And so, um, you still make mistakes though. Like, right. They can help you, but you're gonna like, you know, you're going to still make a lot of mistakes along the way and you'll learn from it. But, um, I think for people listening in right now, they might hear something like, Oh, you know, that's great for her to say that because she has money now. So now she can look back and say, Oh, you know, whatever. But what would you say to that? To like people that Like, did you have the money to invest in one? Is that why you weren't investing in one? Yeah. That's right. I mean, you hit the trigger for me. I was so when we started my business, and I, I I hope people can like close their eyes and visually understand this. When I started my coaching business, I had a four month old baby at home. We were living in a teeny tiny two bedroom duplex, and my husband and I were sleeping on the couch so that our kids could have bedrooms. Oh. So to say that money was tight, it was really tight. We were sharing a car. Um, so I started my business thirty thousand dollars in debt, and I wouldn't coach to anybody going into debt, but it was it was the only way for us to do it. So it's like my my business mentors were the podcasts I was listening mm-hmm. to, were the books I was reading, like literally checking out from the library because I couldn't afford to buy them. And I do think we go through that school of hard knocks when we can't 
afford the fancy coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I learned a ton from all those podcasts and books and, and from that, that no fear of failure, being, being willing to make a few mistakes if it meant I was going to set myself up for success in the long run. Well, okay. So here's an interesting question. Cause I just had my friend, um, Sterling on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Do you know Sterling? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, what I thought was interesting about him is that he was living in a car and he used, like, he went into debt to buy his first coach or to invest in his first coach. And he's like 100% says I would do it over again. Mm. And do you agree with that? Cause you said something about, I, I wouldn't coach somebody to go into debt. Now me, I'm like, Hey, put that thing on a credit card. Cause I'm going to show you how to make it back. I, I think, okay. So for me, I do believe that, that, that everybody has the entrepreneurial spirit. Like anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur can be one, mm-hmm. but I do think some people aren't at a stage in their journey where they're ready to do it. And so I think it's like, once you've done the soul searching, you, you are truly ready to jump in head first to this crazy entrepreneurial journey we like to do. Heck yes, you're going to have to invest. I continue to go into debt for my business when I need to. But I do think some people blindly are like, I don't know what I'm doing yet, so I'm going to hire a coach. That's not the right way to do it. So once you once you really know what you're up to and you have a good sense of who you should work with, like you found the right coach. I mean, I've spent outrageous amounts of money to get coaching and support, but I think it's about doing the research to know who you are and where you're going and then aligning yourself with the right coach where it's like a surefire investment. You know that you're working with the right person. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love that piece of advice. You guys write that down. Okay. So good. So good. Okay. So, um, you, you're, you're building it up. You're going and reaching it out, reaching it out, reaching it out, you guys. Okay. She's <laughs> building locally. And I always tell people to do that. Like go out to those people, you know, and if you're just trying, trying to get started in your coaching business, start local. If you can't, if you can't grow local, you're never going to be able to glow, go global. Amen. Right? That's what I say to people want to skip that local step. And it's like, no, no, that, that's where it all starts. You have it's to go easy. through that piece. It's yes. Yes. way. Because yes. you really understand that market. You live in it. So it's yes. going to be helpful. Um, I did the same thing. I went out to like local gyms and stuff like that and really got my start, you know, my second start, my second pivot I made <laughs> in doing that. And uh, why, like when you were going out, like how did you approach these people? What would you say? Um, so I will say I was very fortunate. A lot of the people were coming to me because they could visually see, and I will say this comes down to the brand as well. They could visually see how we had branded the salon on our website, how we had branded our social media. We were pulling stylists from other salons to work for us because they could see our culture virtually. And I think people forget that like other businesses, clients, everybody is judging you by the culture you create digitally. It's not, you don't even get the gift of guaranteeing they're going to come through your doors. They're going to make a judgment on your virtual appearance. Mm -hmm. And our virtual appearance was strong. Mm -hmm. And so um, some of the local distributors, I did network with a lot of the local distributors. If if you work in a hair salon, generally you have a representative who who brings you your hair color and your your shampoo. Oh yeah. I used to work for a salon too. When I was oh, you did? Mm-hmm. So does the, the smell of perm solution give you like all the feels? Does oh, it yeah. yeah. I love it, actually. Yes. I'm like, oh. Yeah. See, you're my girl. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> so all, all of those distributors, I connected with them and let them know what I was up to and um, nurtured those relationships. Mm-hmm. And they helped to spread the word for me too. So the power of networking was yeah. everything. So good. People overlook... Um, overlook that so often because they don't want to be that person that has an agenda. And I would say like the, the fact that you don't want to have an agenda means that you have an agenda. Like, totally. like so just own the fact that we all have agendas. Everybody Completely. does. Right? And have you have you ever been offended? Like if somebody asks me to promote something or asks for my opinion on something or drops me a note about something that they offer, I've never been offended with somebody presenting an offer. Sometimes I say no, or somebody asks me to promote something and I'll decline it, but I'm not offended that they ask. So why we get so weird about telling people what we do or asking people to shout us out or asking people to spread the word is bananas to me. It's like, be confident in what you do and what you offer and be brave enough to put it out there. Mm, mm. Well, and I think it goes, it goes to the fact that if that bugs you, if people were to ask you that, then it's just a projection that you're, you're putting out on them because you need to change your perception, you know? So, you know, it's always that inner work that we need to be doing. So if you're, having, if you're having trouble going for the ask or whatever, when people ask me, I get excited. Now I don't do it for a lot of people because it's just, it's too much. 
But I mean, I'm like, yeah, go girl. I'm proud of you. Like the fact that you would go into my DMs and ask me that means you have balls and like- I'm giving you a virtual high five, but I'm Heck not yeah. going to post about it. But yes, virtual high five. But I love you, girl. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's all good. Yeah. Okay. So you're going out there networking and you said something really powerful about culture, right? They could see the culture. How do people create a positive team culture? Because when I was in the salon and I think, you know, any industry where there's a lot of women, okay, I I mean, it was just putting cat fight after cat fight out. Like it was bad all the time. And me, I was like the front desk girl. I would go over and I would try to like smooth things over. And, you know, there was so much gossip going on. How do you make it not that type of salon? I mean, my mom moves salon salons every two years because she's like too much gossip. And that's normal. I mean, that's yeah. a total normal story. That's she echoes like the majority. Yeah. I I do think that it comes from the leadership. And a lot of salon owners do not like to hear that. They like to blame, oh, it's I just have rotten apples in the salon. Yeah. But for me, it's like, well, then why didn't you fire them? Why are they still here? Right. They're rotten apples, but you're gonna let them spoil the batch. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's so good. Yeah. So good. So for me, if if somebody was uh didn't fall in line with our culture and values, they had to go. And I wasn't afraid to allow people gracefully along their way. And there were people that I terminated and fired who wrote me thank you notes later. And were like, I actually found my happy place. It was not with you. Okay. So tell me, how did this conversation go? We need to be walked through. Like, okay. So let's say there's a rotten apple in the bunch and you got to let them go. How act like I'm the rotten apple. Tell me. Oh, you'd never be my rotten apple, but let's pretend that you are. Of course not. But yeah, never. Okay. So, so we did have a vision statement, mission statement handbook. And it wasn't just rah-rah. I mean, I talked about it in our meetings, which were not boring company meetings. They were fun. The team was very involved in it. Um, but I was very clear that that this is this is the culture that we work in. I expect nothing less than a positive attitude, than a supportive environment, that everybody does their job, that everybody's respectful to each other. And if you are not respectful, I either have to write you up or possibly terminate you. Mm. And I was very clear and open on that. So if you, let's say you were disrespectful to somebody, you said something awful on the floor and a client heard it, I would say, Kayla, I heard about what happened yesterday in front of Samantha's client. Can you walk me through why that happened? And I would allow you to explain yourself. And then I would always say, like, I understand why you did that. However, it's not in alignment with our culture. So we have two options. You can ensure that you can promise me that will never, ever happen again. And if that's not a promise you can make, I understand, but we have to look at what it looks like for you to exit the salon. And it's like, we just get an agreement on that. And either we can get on the same page or we can't. And if we cannot, it's okay. You can choose to move on. Um, but but I don't tolerate that here. I, I only want to ensure that we have a positive work environment. And that's it. Well, and what it sounds like to me is, I mean... I feel like I wouldn't be upset that I just got fired right now because it's just like, it's actually like, it was my choice almost, right? Like I can get in line or I can get, you know, off the train track and people that are the rotten apples, they don't want to get in line. So they'll, they'll, they'll leave, right? They choose their exit. And those who are rotten apples often have large egos too. So they don't want me to fire them. They would rather walk on their own terms. Mm. So when when I stepped into my director role, much easier. Mm -hmm. When I stepped into my director role, we lost four pretty senior stylists within about six months because they didn't like how I rolled, but that was okay. We were starting a new regime and Mm -hmm. sometimes good people have to go to make room for greater ones to come in, which is exactly what happened. I had to be brave enough to lose some good people in order to really define an established and positive culture. Oh my gosh. So do you feel like you working at Ritz helped with that too? hundred percent. Yeah. Because there was no tolerance of, of um, oh, yeah. compliance there, none. Oh my gosh. The Ritz, that's like my favorite place to stay besides like Fairmont's. And why is it your favorite place to stay? Oh yeah, because the customer service. I remember the unbelievable Carlton I stayed at was in Amelia Island in Florida. Beautiful, yes. And I think I was like, gosh, I was 20, 26 at the time. So I was like young, but I was so impressed. Like it was, it was the first time somebody had taught, like, like was just so... I was special. Like, I was like, what? Oh my gosh. Like they just went above and beyond. Is there anything else I could do for you, Miss Craft? Like going above and beyond. And it was just a feeling you had. And I was like, okay, I want to like send everybody to this location. Isn't that amazing? And everyone want to just shout their name from the rooftops because you're so impressed with what they've done for you. Yeah. And I've never been to a bad one. Like, you know, there's been a lot of hotels I've been to. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never going Mm -hmm. back there. But it's it just you can tell that's the type of culture and that's the type of culture I want. I know that's the type of culture you're creating in your team right now with 
with what you've got going on. So you, okay. So let's shift gears. Now you've started the podcast and you've, this is insane. Over a million downloads. That's crazy. When did you first start it? February, 2018. Okay. Oh my gosh. So So not quite two years. Yeah. Okay. So I started mine in May, 2018. Oh, we're like podcast babies. I love it. Okay. So that is incredible. And people listening in right now, there's a lot of podcasters. Okay. So give us some tips on how you really went out there and made this happen in less than two years. I mean, most people like they're, they can't be consistent with it. There's, you know, and they never hit a million downloads. Like that's crazy. It's amazing. I mean, you already hit one of the key points is the consistency, but, but to what you said as well, there are a ton of podcasts out there. So, and I was not the first podcast in the beauty industry at all. There was probably a dozen before me. So I said, I can't come in and do what they're doing. I've got to do something different or I'm just going to fade into the background like everybody else. Right. So I did, I did some research and listened to their podcasts. But whenever I'm researching or trying to find out what I can bring to my market, I'm careful with how I research. I'll dabble into what my market's doing, but most of my research is beyond my industry because I don't want to copycat what anybody else in my space is already doing. So mm-hmm. I like to find my influence and ideas by listening to people way beyond my space so that I can bring fresh content. So what I noticed is all of the podcasts in my industry were interviewing these like mega superstars, which was fun and interesting to listen to, but they were all doing it. It was like industry icons sharing very vague ideas. And I was like, well, I don't want to do... I definitely don't want to do that. It wasn't in line with my passion. And it also... Everybody was doing it. So... I said, I'm going to interview stylists that nobody's heard of before, grassroots stylists, people in the middle of nowhere who are making $200,000 a year. That's the story I want to tell. So I brought to the table interviews with people you could really relate to, right? Like the woman you could meet at the coffee shop down the street. And when I hopped on to share content, it wasn't these big umbrella ideas. I said, here's three steps to write better captions. And I made my podcast very educational. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I broke into the industry, sharing something they had never seen before, that really helped to give me the momentum I needed. Mm-hmm. I will say one thing that helped too is I built my audience before I launched the podcast. like People knew what I was about. They had a sense of my voice. My podcast catapulted me. It's the number one business driver right now. But because people already knew who I was and what I was bringing to the table, it helped. Podcast organic reach is tricky. And so knowing how to use Instagram and Facebook and all of the other things did help the growth for sure. So what if there are people, because I know there's a lot of people listening in that don't have an audience that have already started a podcast, Mm -hmm. what would be your best advice to them? I mean, I always say, okay, just keep going. It will grow, but you have to be committed to the long, long haul here. Um, But what else would you tell them? You hit the nail on the head. I think podcasting, I think digital marketing in all aspects is a long game. If you're in it for the short game, you got into it for the, you're playing the wrong game. You got into it for the wrong reason. We have to be very committed. Um, keep experimenting, keep showing up. Um, I do think guest spotting on other podcasts makes a huge difference. There's an industry influencer, I won't drop her name because I don't know if I should, who has somebody full-time on her team. And all that this woman does is pimp out this guest speaker. And she is on a new podcast two, three times a week. She's guest spotting on somebody's show and it's built up her own audience really, really quickly because she's not afraid to put herself out there and maybe be rejected probably more times than she's accepted. But she's getting to dabble into these other audiences. And so they're getting used to her voice. Um, One of the things that's worked really well for me, and you do have to have a little bit of a budget to do this, is I run Facebook ads to uh, my podcast episodes. So I'll do it in bundles. So I'll say, here's my top five podcast episodes about social media for hairstylists. And I'll I'll run two, three bucks a day. I mean, it doesn't have to be super expensive, but I'll put a little ad spend behind my podcast. And that really helped to boost those downloads and start to get those organic shares. It just, that little bit of a push helped me to get a lot of free organic traffic too. I love that. When you make the ad for, Mm -hmm. um, you know, top five, do you do any split testing or do you just put it out there like... I'm embarrassed to say, Kayla, I do not split test. Okay. So, so my test is like, am I getting, am I getting more downloads, and am I happy with the conversion rate I'm paying? If I am, it's all good. Yeah. Could I do better? Possibly, but for me, it's like if I'm if I'm getting the result that that makes me feel like a winner, I'm cool with that. So, could I be doing split testing? 
For sure. Would it improve my results? Probably, but right now we're not. We're just yeah, doing free okay. ads. Well, good idea for everybody out there. I know we run ads for our podcast too. And we just take like the highest downloaded ones. Yes. And we just we're like, listen to this interview I did with so with this coach. Like, we'll probably do an ad for this one. We'll be like, you need to listen to <laughs> this one, you know, whatever we'll say. Um, but we'll we'll usually try to do split test of like with the copy. I love that one converts. I think we forget like how noisy the world is. And when you send out that ad that just says, here's our top three podcasts or whatever, it's, it makes it so easy for people. There's Mm -hmm. no barrier to entry. Oh, great. Here's Kayla's top three. Awesome. They don't have to sort through what they might perceive to be mediocre episodes or whatever. It's like, these are our top ones. Fall in love with me. Here you go. The easier we make it for our people to listen and find us, the faster we grow. Oh my gosh. So good. Yes. I'm so excited about this podcast. I can't wait to run ads behind this episode. It's going to be bomb. It's going to go viral. Yes. Of course. Go viral. So you guys do your research around your podcast. What, what are people in your industry doing and don't get, don't get caught up in doing the same thing because that's the red ocean, right? You want to always find your blue ocean, create your blue. I love that. I love that. Do you have you read that book? No. What is? Oh that my gosh, Britt, you have to read this book, Blue Ocean. Oh my gosh, adding it to my Amazon cart right now. I can't yeah. wait. You're gonna be. Yeah, you're gonna love. It. It's all about marketing. It's all about how everybody like thinks that they're in competition, right? So like you would say, oh, completely. All the that have a podcast, they're my competition. But when because you're all in the red ocean, you're all doing the same thing, right? Your blue ocean is the fact that you talk to real life hairstylists that are the average everyday hairstylists that are you know, making six figures, which is what everybody wants to be making. Instead of highlighting these people that not everybody is going to be the YouTube star, the beauty right. star, that right. has only the followers. It's right. so unrelatable, but it's still, that's still great. That's great for them. There's a spot for them, but you found your blue ocean. So Absolutely. I definitely going to add that to cart. And to, to what you said, we, we were talking right before this episode started and you were saying that a lot of hairstylists follow who maybe want to be educators. And what I said to you is I was like, bring them on. Like I need more perceived competition. There's not enough really innovative educators in my space or in any space. Like there's plenty of room for everybody. No market is yet too crowded. If you can find, I love that. Your blue ocean. I love it. Yeah, you're gonna love this book. I can't wait. Like, oh. once you read it, message me. We got it. Okay, well, of course, of course. We'll, we'll have a mastermind about the Blue Ocean book. <gasps> book club. Okay, it started today. I can't even read <laughs> oh, yeah, it. Book club. Oh my gosh. Okay, so, you know, you've done the podcast, you're, you have a membership group. Let's talk about that because I have a membership group too. I just started in June and I feel like, I mean, I, are, I love it. It's like one of the things I love the most, but it's also the thing that I'm like, I want to pull my hair out. Yes. Because I'm like, how are people canceling? This is 37 freaking dollars a month. Like, mm-hmm. are, what is wrong with people? Like, Completely. Like, I'm like, you're getting the best stuff. Like, people pay me tens of thousands of dollars. Right. So right. how do you not lose your mind? Because you're giving so much value in this membership and then people cancel. Like, it's such a great question. Such a great question. A yeah. membership is like Everest. It's this huge mountain and you'd feel so accomplished if you could climb Everest, but you're standing at the bottom and you're like, I'm never going to make it. That's how it feels when you're building a membership. It's brutal. <laughs> and people think like, oh, easy. I'm going to do a membership. Yes. No, membership is the hardest model to build. Okay. So many people are telling me that because they see me with my membership. They're like, I want to do my own. And I'm like, I don't want to be that person that's telling them not to do it, but I'm like, don't do it because like you really do have to have such a big audience. Right. Like, do you agree with that? Like wait until hundred percent. Okay. Good. hundred percent. A course or even one-on-one coaching group coaching are all much easier offers, um, to manage, to build, to save your sanity with than a membership. A membership is one in audience size and retention. Mm -hmm. It's not one in launches. It's not one in fancy marketing. It is all about retention and having a large enough audience to continue to fill that that platform. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing right now? Do you follow a closed membership, an open membership? I do. I've, and I've always done a closed membership model. We've played with different launch strategies. We used to do cart open, cart close three times a year. We now just do it spring and fall. So I do a okay. spring class and a fall class. And for me, um, what I've learned through the years is that one of the greatest benefits of membership is the community. I always say people come for me, but they stay for each other. Right. So when you join the membership, it's my top priority to help you find a buddy, to 
put you in a Facebook group that's not just there, but like highly engaged um, and connect you with a tribe. Because once you feel connected to this tribe, like we felt connected in the mastermind, it's like, you don't want to leave. You're bonded to these people Mm -hmm. and they become your ride or dies. So creating that culture in my membership was number one. Showing up with great content is good, but creating that culture and that belonging is everything. I mean, that's how a membership succeeds for sure. Oh my gosh. This is so good. We just hired a um, community manager. Oh, game changer. This is going to be the number one thing that they're going to be focused on. Yes. Is the cultivation of the relationship. Because I already feel like it is a sisterhood in there, but it's, it's like, you just need to go above and beyond, right? Completely. And so, it can always be better. We're, yeah. we're always like looking to better our best too. Yep. Like how can we double down on it even more? Okay. So, so you said something interesting. You said group coaching or one-on-one coaching is going to be easier right mm-hmm. now, which mm-hmm. I 100% agree. And I almost like, I'm so glad you're giving me like the validation. I know this isn't like a coaching call for me or anything, but you guys are all learning here because people were telling me that they wanted to do a membership. And I was just like, I never tell people to not do something. So I was like, I don't want to say don't do it, but like, it's not the best thing to do because you don't have it. You need to have a full, like you need to have staff being able to help you and like group coaching and one-on-one, like you don't like, yeah, you need an assistant, but like, it's very much, you can do it yourself. Right. Yep. So do you you have a teaching? Uh, not, not at this time. No, I do have, um, almost like a pseudo group coaching part of the membership. However, the format is, I call it Thriver Society Elite. It's about 40 women. Um, but they were promised when they came in, they don't get more Brit, they get more of each other. And it's a curated group of high performers so that I know they can support each other. So there's a one, once a month group coaching call with me. Um, Q and a style, or sometimes I'll come with a little bit of a topic to present on, but they can ask me questions once a month, but they're mostly there for each other. And because we set that as the foundation from the jump, like they knew what they were signing up for, man, they have doubled down. Like I could probably bounce and they'd be just as happy because they've now got this killer network of stylists and salon owners who are playing the same game that they are. And they found like they, they felt like they found the support that they need. So it's almost like, um, a membership mastermind group coaching hybrid. They were promised 12 months together, but I can't imagine they want to leave after this, this first round because they've really bonded as a group. Oh my gosh. I love that. You're amazing. You're amazing. Okay. So what's next for you? Oh my gosh. Such a great question. Do you know what's next always messes me up a little bit. I, I just feel like, um, as an entrepreneur, I'm just on this, uh, this open-minded journey. And I'm always trying to listen to like what the people want and trying to live eyes wide open to what the heck is next. Um, the big thing on our table right now is we're hosting our first ever large scale members only event. So we have Thrivers Society Live in Irvine coming up in six weeks. You have to come see me. You know, I live in Newport beach. I'm like okay. right there. Doing it, doing okay. it, doing it. I, I okay. love Newport. It's my fave. See you at Lido Village. Um, so that's going to be, that's our big thing right now. And then we're going to do Thrivers Live even bigger in 2021. So really scaling those, those membership only live event opportunities yeah. to take that relationship off the computer yep. screen and in person. We're just trying to really facilitate more of that connection within our, within our membership. That's our so program. smart. I mean, doing a live event is, is like crucial. It's like the most, I mean, stressful thing you could do. Yes. But it's so fun. It's so rewarding being there. You're going to love it. Um, is it something that people pay? So if... Okay. They do so pay. They yep. Pay it's members only. So you have to be a member and you you pay to buy your ticket. Yeah. Um, and there's a VIP level, a regular level, but it's not included. It's additional. It's an additional charge. Okay. And, and that model worked really, really well for us. People understood the value of it. They had no, no issue paying on top of it. It was like an option. You don't have to come to Thrivers Live, but why would you want to miss out? And so oh it was gosh. an easy upsell. So who are you having speak at this event? Is it like just hairstylists and stories or tell me what can people expect at this event? Well, in 2021, we'll be inviting Kayla Craft, but in 2020, we have, we have, um, Jasmine Starr, Tanya Dalton, Lori Harder, Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First. Um, we have Sarah Centrella. So none of my educators are actually industry influencers. I have. Okay. That's what I was wondering if it was like all, Okay. I, I like I like bringing fresh education to our industry. I know if they go to an industry event, they'll see the top 10 platform artists that are traveling right now. I got it. So I don't need to serve up more than that. It's like, I want somebody to come in and teach branding and social media strategy and budgeting and finance and how to create a vision for your life. Those are the things that I want my students learning more about. 
Oh, that makes me so happy because, okay, Jasmine and I are going to dinner next week. We're oh my gosh. Love it. And then Lori, Lori is one of my like closest friends. Chase and Chris are like best buds. We just spent Thanksgiving with them. So, you know, for those of you guys that are listening in that can they buy a ticket? Can they still join or is the membership closed? What's up with we that? We are totally sold out for right now. But if they want to come see Kayla Craft at the 2021, 2021. Drivers Live, oh gosh, yes. they can just stay posted for that. Okay. Awesome. I'm so excited about that because um, I think that it's important for people to be a part of like things like, you know, my millionaire society where it's all different types of industries. You can learn right. from lots of different types of people, but I think it's very special when you get everybody in the room that is all on the same mission as you, everybody's there to grow their styling business, you know, right? Yes. So, but I think there's room for both. Like you actually need to be in both because it's good to expand your mind. Completely. Completely. And there, there is so something about being in that room where, you, where you're just surrounded with like-minded people. I don't know about you. I'm a huge introvert. So I could very easily just sit in a ball at my house all day and think that I'm getting everything I need. And then you push beyond your boundary and get into that room with other like-minded people. And what it does, like body, mind, and soul can't be replicated any other way. Mm-hmm. Being in that space is crucial. I watched your event, like a stalker on Instagram stories. And I was like, I want that. Like what you created looked like magic and it, it can't be duplicated virtually. It has to be in person. Absolutely. Yes. 100%. I'm so excited. I wish I could go, but well, 2021, we'll make it happen. See you there. Um, yeah. So, okay. So you're doing your event, all this is happening. And then can I share what you told me right before we got on the call? Of course. Anything. Okay. So you said, I'm only doing things that I enjoy, but you said, I'm sorry, but like right now I'm only doing things that I enjoy. And why is it that we're so socially conditioned to say sorry for doing things that we enjoy? It's like, duh, shouldn't we, that should be a way of life. And so I wanted to, you know, just give that advice. You didn't realize you were giving me advice, but you were when you said that, um, for people to go out there and do what they enjoy, because would you agree that in order to build a multi-million dollar business like you have, Okay do you not need to be in that feeling of enjoyment as often as possible? 100%. And as soon as the misery and the overwhelm and the overcommitment kicks in, I shut down and it affects my profits and it affects my team and it affects my family. It's doomsday. It's like it all starts to crumble down. And you're right. When I, when I told you I'm only doing what makes me happy, the first thing that came to mind is I better apologize. I better, I better tell her that I'm sorry for saying that. And it's so, it's so ridiculous that that's my natural instinct, but we do. I know you weren't even telling me no. You were just like saying. No, I showed up as a big yes for you is the thing I enjoyed doing. (laughs) But it's like, we, I I felt like I needed to have that caveat of like, I'm so sorry that I'm going to just make myself happy. It would just crazy. It's crazy. Right. But but I think that's why we have to have conversations like this where we're going, hey, wait, don't ever say that again out loud. Thank you for cross-checking me. I needed that. (laughs) That was good. I needed that for my soul. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm with you on that. So um, one last thing. I know I could talk to you forever, but when people heard you say that, you know, like when the overwhelm and the desperation kicks in, your profits went down. And I 100% agree because I feel like this on this like journey. Yep. Um, And so I know how it feels to be there, but what if you are in that desperate spot? What if you are in that, oh my God, you know, I'm a hundred thousand dollars in debt. I hear this all the time. And all I can focus on is how to get out of that. Like, I don't know, I don't know how to not, how to say no when I'm, you know, in overwhelm because I have to do all the things to make all the money to get out of debt. Right. For me, for me, it started with creating what I call white space. And I was not good at this until last year. It's a newer habit for me, but I will actually, and it feels so counterintuitive, but I will unplug from my business and take time to disconnect and remind myself like why I'm doing this. Like if I'm just in business to make money, I might as well shut down the shop. There's no point in doing that. Like what is my grander purpose? What kind of life am I trying to create for myself and my family? And what are the steps that I need to take to get there? I'm not afraid of short-term sacrifice for long-term game. I am totally fine to run really, really hard in short sprints if it's going to get me where I need to go. But unless I know what those short sprints are looking like and that they're going to for sure get me closer to my goal, they eat me alive. Like for those people who are working, running on the hamster wheel, like I got to work because I got to get out of debt. You're never going to get there. You're going to stay on that hamster wheel, stay in that debt for the rest of your life. But until you take a step back and realize where you're going and what steps you're going to need to take to get there very strategically, you can't get off the wheel. It's Mm -hmm. like at some point you have to hit the pause button and get off the ride for a second to get bigger perspective on what you really need to be focused on to move forward. Okay. I love that. So when you unplug from your business, like, yeah. I'm like, I need to know the tactical behind this. And so does everybody else listening in, but like, 
for me, I'll go and I will lock myself in a hotel room, right? Yep. 24 hours and literally like not let myself do anything. Like I won't even watch TV, nope. um, but just like journal and just think and create, listen to music, that kind of stuff. Um, because for me, that is, that's the white space. I didn't know it was called that white space. I wrote that down. I love that. Um, it's nothing incoming. Right. Exactly right. It's all output. You got it exactly right. So there's no like listening to podcasts, watching TV, none of that stuff. No distractions from the kids, no distractions from my husband. And when I first, I do white space the same way you do. I'll lock myself in a hotel. I'll, I'll take like a, a weekend getaway by myself. And when I first started doing it, my husband did think it was self-indulgent. Like, oh, there she goes on one of her trips. But then when I came <laughs> back and was so refreshed and, and was like a better version of myself, now my whole family appreciates it. They no, They're like, yay, mom is going yeah, to see you later. Right. It's, it's for the best. And it's like you said, I, I, I don't sit there and play on my phone. I journal, I reflect, I dream. Um, and it gives me all that mental clarity and it really does relieve the pressure. Like you work through a lot of, a lot of things internally, just being able to output instead of input. You've got that exactly right. Oh, I love that. Okay. So one last thing I want you to leave the mommy millionaire community with it. We're going into 2020. So they're going to hear this. It's going to be 2020, basically the beginning of 2020. What is one thing you want them to take away from this podcast that they can only take one thing in? If they can only take one thing in, I want them to remember that everybody was put here with tremendous potential and that anybody can be anything that they want to be so long as they have faith in themselves, so long as they continue to focus on the true north, find the gaps and stay consistent and truly know that you are meant for greatness so long as you are willing to double down on making all of your biggest dreams come true. Ah, I love that. Okay, you guys, if you love this episode as much as I did, I think I'm going to listen to it like 10 times. Me too. Yeah, we're going to have to have her back on because she's incredible. If you loved it as much as we did, make sure to take a screenshot, tag both me and Britt on Instagram and tell us exactly what you learned and exactly what you're going to implement in your life after listening to this podcast. Remember that information that you take in means nothing if you don't take some action with it. So that's why we're here. That's why we took the time out of our days to lift you up is to take you to a new height. So we love you guys so much. Thank you for listening in. And remember to go fill out an application for the Mommy Millionaire Mastermind if you're looking for massive support and community in 2020. Bye guys. Thank you for listening to the Mommy Millionaire Podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to mommymillionaire.co. Make sure to follow Mommy Millionaire on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes. And it would mean the world to me if you left a five-star review of the show. And as always, ladies, go out there and get what you want.